0: Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today we will be discussing the Halifax Explosion, this week from the perspective of SSEMO. Before we dive in, I must inform you, this story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel and a death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please note, before I begin, that I am not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I have done my research and will present the information as I understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, I will be including the basics of nautical terminology in the description for anyone who needs it. In today's episode, there will be some terms in the French and Norwegian languages, neither of which am I fluent, but I will do my best to give accurate pronunciations. Welcome to part one of the Halifax Explosion. This week, we'll be covering S.S. Emo's part in the story, as well as the rest of her history. To start, S.S. Emo, who was first built for the Oceanic Steam Navigation Company, a subsidiary of the White Star Line as S.S. Runic, was laid sometime in 1888 by Harland and Wolfe in yard number 211 of their Belfast shipyard. She was designed to carry 1,000 live cattle, plus berths for 48 passengers with 40 crew. In 1889, her tonnages were 4,649 gross-registered tons and 3,046 net-registered tons. With this being changed in 1912 after she was converted into a whaling vessel, changing her tonnages to 5,043 gross-registered tons and 3,161 net-registered tons. S.S. Runic as she was called for now, was 430.7 feet long, had a beam of 45.2 feet wide, and a depth of 30 feet. She was powered by one triple expansion steam engine, turning one 20-foot right-hand screw capable of making 60 revolutions per minute, and she was capable of reaching 12 knots her propeller had a side effect of sorts that will be important to keep in mind later, and that is that it gave the ship a traverse thrust, which means she veered to the left while propelling forward and veered right while reversing. Because of this, she had a difficult time navigating tight spaces, with a quote later stating that, quote, due to the combined effect of traverse thrust and the length and depth of SS Asasino's hull and its keel, she was difficult to maneuver. She'd be launched on January 1st, 1889, being registered in Liverpool, England, and given the United Kingdom official number of 93837, and her code letters were LBPW. She'd be finished on February 16th, 1889, taking her maiden voyage five days later on February 21st, 1889. Her maiden voyage and career for Oceanic Steam Navigation Company was uneventful, and we are going to get into the part of her career where she starts changing hands, which she does several times. In May of 1895, Oceanic Steam Navigation Company would sell S.S. Runic to the Pacific Steamship Line, and they'd name her S.S. Tempekin. As S.S. Tempekin, she'd be transferred with the rest of her company's fleet to Frederick Leyland and Company, also known as the Leyland Line. The Leyland Line is famous for owning the SS Californian, the ship that was so close to Titanic yet so far communications-wise. We'll cover that one in April. In 1912, H.E. Moss & purchased SS Tampican, though they didn't keep her long. Later in 1912, she was sold to Southern Pacific Whaling Company. They refitted SS Tampican to a whaling factory ship and renamed her SS Emo. And this is when her tonnages increased, as we discussed earlier. Her port of registry also changed in 1912, changing from Liverpool to Christiana, which is now Oslo, Norway. After this, her code letters changed to MJGB as well. After this, her career had the biggest event in her history. In 1917, SS Imo was used as a charter ship for the Commission for Relief in Belgium, also known as Belgian Relief, during World War I. Belgian Relief was an international, though predominantly American, organization that arranged for the supply of food to German-occupied Belgium and northern France during World War I, with its chairman being future president of the United States, Herbert Hoover. SS was a neutral ship, and to avoid German and Austro-Hungarian U-boats, the words Belgian relief was sprawled across her side. She was sailing in ballast, in other words empty, on her way to New York to load relief supplies to take to Belgium. She'd stopped first in Halifax for neutral inspection on December 3rd, 1917, spending two days in Bedford Basin to await bunkering. Bunkering is the supplying of fuel for use by ships, and this is why fuel for ships is sometimes called bunker. It comes from the usage of coal bunkers to store fuel. She'd be cleared to leave port two days later on December 5th, 1917. However, she was delayed because her bunker coal hadn't arrived yet, and it wouldn't until later in the afternoon. It wasn't completed until after the anti-submarine nets had been raised for the night, and so she couldn't hoist her anchor and set sail until the following morning. At this time, SS Emo had 39 crew and her captain, Captain Hakan Frum, aboard. The ship was long and narrow, and because she was without cargo, her propeller and rudder were almost completely out of the water, making it hard to maneuver the ship, especially with that transverse thrust we talked about earlier. She was signaled clearance by the guardship, which is a warship assigned as a stationary guard in a port or harbor instead of a coastal patrol boat, which serves its protective role at sea. And this guardship was HMCS Acadia. They used signals to inform SS Emo that she was good to leave Bedford Basin at around 7:30 a.m. on December 6th, with their pilot William Hayes on board. The crew of SS Emo made their first mistake here. They entered the Narrows going well above the harbor's speed limit, since they were trying to make up the time they'd lost, bunkering later than expected. As we know from Costa Concordia, coastal navigation is not a time to be moving so quickly, as maneuvering, which was already difficult for SS Emo, would now be even worse. It takes longer to turn ships moving at faster speeds. Not only this, but Halifax Harbor can be treacherous and incredibly difficult to navigate, practically requiring a pilot. We covered part of the dangerous parts of Halifax Harbor and the approach to it in the story of SS Atlantic, and the link for that video will be in the cards. SS Emo, traveling through the harbor, met U.S. tramp steamer named SS Clara which is a ship or boat without a fixed schedule, also called being involved in the tramp trade. SS Clara was being piloted up the western side of the harbor, meaning she was pretty much in the wrong lane, and the same one as SS Emo. The pilots agreed to pass as regulation states, going starboard to starboard. Shortly after this, SS Emo was forced even further towards the Dartmouth shore when she passed a tugboat called Stella Maris which was traveling mid-channel through the harbor to Bedford Basin. The captain of the Stella Maris, Captain Horatio Brannan, saw S.S. Imo approaching far too fast, and thus ordered Stella Maris closer to the western shore to avoid an accident. This pushed S.S. Imo further towards the Dartmouth side of the harbor, and into the path of Mont Blanc, a French cargo ship completely loaded with wartime explosives that were incredibly volatile and reactive. Their fates were sealed at this time, but neither ship's captain knew it at this point. We'll cover Mont Blanc's perspective more in depth next week. But for now, what you need to know is that pilot Francis Mackey on board the Mont Blanc was fearful that the cargo would explode should he attempt to ground the ship. So he ordered the ship to turn hard to port, which turns it toward the starboard helm. They were attempting to cross Emo's bow in a last ditch effort to avoid a serious collision. The ships were almost parallel, passing one another when S.S. Emo let off three signal blasts of her horn, indicating she was reversing her engine. Well, here's where that transverse thrust really came into play. As the ship's engines went into reverse, this transverse thrust, in combination with the cargo-less ship's height in the water, caused S.S. Emo's bow to swing directly into Mont Blanc. At 8.45 a.m., the ships collided in the narrows of Halifax Harbor, both going at slow speeds. At the time, it seemed like everyone was in the clear. The damage to Mont Blanc was not severe. However, the impact knocked over barrels of explosive benzol, which is a coal tar product consisting mainly of benzene and toluene, and originally it was used as a motor spirit to be mixed with petrol and sold as motor fuel. This benzol spilled all over the deck, and it quickly seeped down into the cargo hold where SS Emo's bow was lodged. SS-EMO's engines engaged, pulling the ship backward and away from Mont Blanc. Because it was metal on metal, this friction created a spark that lit the vapor rising up from the Benzol. Boom! A fire started at the waterline, quickly snaking its way up the side of the Mont Blanc as Benzol spewed uncontrollably out of crushed oil drums. Soon, the fire was unable to be contained, and the captain saw the situation quickly spiraling out of control. Thick black smoke plumed around them, and the captain feared the ship would explode, and thus he ordered his crew to abandon ship. At exactly 9.04 and 35 seconds in the morning, the fire that was consuming Mont Blanc did what we all knew it would, and it set off the highly explosive cargo with a thunderous roar. The Mont Blanc was completely destroyed as shrapnel flew in every direction. The enormously powerful blast wave from the explosion radiated away at more than 3,300 feet per second. The detonation was accompanied by temperatures raging well over 9,030 Fahrenheit and pressures of thousands of atmospheres at the core of the explosion. This explosion devastated the nearby city of Halifax, demolishing buildings and killing many with flying debris. Some parts of Halifax were flattened entirely. In total, at least 1,950 people were killed, though some sources say the death toll is well over 2,000. Some by flying debris, others by fires or collapsing buildings. More than 9,000 people were injured, according to researchers' estimates. As for S.S. Emo, the explosion decimated her upper decks and the tsunami that followed threw the ship ashore on the Dartmouth side of Halifax Harbor. Three out of the four personnel on her open bridge were killed, and these men were Captain Frum, Pilot William Hayes, and First Officer R. Albert Ingvald Iverson. The helmsman, John Johansen, was severely injured but would recover. Four other crewmen of SS Emo were killed as well. Carpenter Johannes C. Kersenboom, Seaman Harold Iverson, Fireman Oscar Kallstrom, and Botswain Gustav Peterson. A Botswain, or also known as a bossin or deck boss, or in the Navy a petty officer or chief rate, is the most senior member of the deck department and is typically the ship's officer in charge of equipment, the crew, and the components of a ship's hull. There was an inquiry following the disaster, as there is with many massively devastating or mysterious shipwrecks. The wreck commissioner's inquiry would be the entity called upon to carry out the official investigation into what happened and who was at fault. A prominent Halifax lawyer by the name of Mr. Charles Jost Burchell stood to represent the owners of SS Emo in the inquiry as well as in the lengthy civil litigation. The inquiry first held SS Emo's crew entirely blameless, curiously enough, and they put all of the fault on the shoulders of the Mont Blanc. However, following appeals to the Supreme Court of Canada in May of 1919 and to the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council on March 22, 1920, both ships would have blame placed upon their shoulders for navigational errors and the inevitable collision and subsequent explosion. S.S. Emo would be refloated after the explosion on April 26, 1918, being restored and returned to her normal service. Her name was once again changed from S.S. Emo to Gouverneurin, which means the governor, in 1920, and she'd continue on as a whale oil tanker until November 30, 1921. This is a type of oil tanker ship that transports whale oil, which was used for lubricating fine instruments as well as a varnish and many other uses, including for oil lamps. On November 30th, 1921, the man at the helm of Guvernorin collapsed drunk after a night of debauchery and celebratory drinking, which left the wheel unattended. Due to this unfortunate event, the ship ran aground on the rocks at Cow Bay, roughly two miles away from Cape Carey's Fort in the northeast of East Falkland between McBride Head and Volunteer Point, 20 miles from Port Stanley. None of the crew were lost, thank goodness. They tried to salvage her, but on December 3rd of 1921, they gave up and Guvernoran was lost to the sea. As for her legacy, the Falkland Islands issued a postage stamp displaying Guvernoran in 2005. The Maritime Museum of the Atlantic, a maritime museum located in downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia, has an exhibit discussing the S.S. Emo's role in the Halifax explosion, and it even has some artifacts like a dog collar from S.S. Emo's mascot and some of the ship's fittings. On November 6, 2017, Canada Post issued a stamp commemorating the explosion and its devastating aftermath. It was released a month before the anniversary of the explosion, and it salutes the resilience of the Haligonians, or natives of Halifax, who rebuilt their city from the ground up, like a phoenix rising from the ashes. After this, S.S. Emo has faded into a sort of obscurity. At least in America, the Halifax explosion doesn't find itself in our history lessons often, and so very few Americans know about the disaster or S.S. Emo. I hope this recollection keeps the story of SS Emo, the Mont Blanc, and the Halifax Explosion alive, as well as honoring the victims of the disaster. May they rest in peace. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, Please subscribe for more content and leave us a 5-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment and you might hear your favorite ship here on the podcast. Check out our Community tab for updates and to interact with us, and don't forget to check out our second channel, Speed Force Media. Tune in next Sunday for Part 2 of the Halifax Explosion, ending with the perspective of the Mont Blanc. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.